Today we're going to look at somebody that you may have never actually heard about before. It's uh, someone who's buried in the scriptures, but I think his story is actually pretty fascinating, and I think you'll really enjoy it. The, this spelling error, I actually accidentally added an L. That L shouldn't be in there. His name is Mephibosheth. I know it's kind of uh, hard to say, but if I mess it up a few times, I wanted to get it straight from the beginning. That's his name. If I mess it up along the sermon, which is highly p- probable, at least you knew it from the beginning. Mephibosheth is this person's name. A fascinating story and a lot of parallels actually to our lives. And so I thought it'd be fun to, to pause from the people that we've probably heard about before. You know, we've just did Saul and David and Mephibosheth is going to be connected to both those people here, as you're going to see. To do someone maybe you haven't heard about and maybe learn something new from this minor, certainly minor character of the Bible. So we're going to jump into the story, this part of the story you've actually already heard before in 1 Samuel 31. This is the end of Saul as king here in this section. Uh, Saul has gone to battle with the Philistines, and the Philistines are, are winning, right? They're, they're getting the best of Saul. So this is how the story goes. Now the Philistines fought against Israel, and the Israelites fled before them, and many fell dead on Mount Gilboa. The Philistines were in hot pursuit of Saul and his sons, and they killed his sons Jonathan, Abindab, and Malkishua. The fighting grew fierce around Saul, and when the archers overtook him, they wounded him critically. Saul said to his armor bearer, draw your sword and run me through, or these uncircumcised fellows will come and run me through and abuse me. But his armor bearer was terrified and would not do it, so Saul took his own sword and fell on it. When the armor bearer saw that Saul was dead, he too fell on his sword and died with him. So Saul and his three sons and his armor bearer and all his men died together. That same day. It's a tragic end for, for Saul as, as king, certainly. But what we don't often think about is what happened to everybody back in Jerusalem, what happened to the rest of his family that survived. Now, when one king was succeeded by another king throughout history in any, any culture, it often uh, didn't go over real peacefully, right? Oftentimes it was a very bloody thing. And so back in Jerusalem, those who, when they catch word of what's happened to Saul and Jonathan and all his sons, knowing that David will now become king, right? David had already been anointed as king by Samuel. They're in a hurry to get out. Not sure how David will treat them. Remember, Saul has been pursuing David, trying to kill him. So for them, they're thinking, well, David's probably not real fond of anybody who's related or connected to Saul at this point. We've got to go. And this is where Mephibosheth actually enters the story. It's in 2 Samuel 4.4 that we learn, Jonathan, son of Saul, had a son who was lame in both feet. He was five years old when the news about Saul and Jonathan, what we just read, right? came from Jezreel. His nurse picked him up and fled, but as she hurried to leave, he fell and became disabled. His name was Mephibosheth. So we learn that Mephibosheth was five years old in Jerusalem when, when the word about Saul and what's happened to him reaches, reaches them, that Saul, Jonathan, all the rest of Saul's sons are dead, that David will now be, become king and will be taken over. And so the nurse in her haste, right, to get out of there to leave before something bad happens to her or Mephibosheth. Remember, oftentimes when a king changed, the, 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 the new king would come in and just wipe out the family, get rid of anybody who could possibly claim to be an heir. And they're worried that David might do that. So the nurse picks him up to, to leave and runs and falls. And Mephibosheth falls and becomes, the scripture tells us, disabled. Now it's two probably like, two likely injuries. For Mephibosheth, either he has a double compound fracture of his legs, which in the ancient world would have meant you're never going to walk again. They could, they could splint and do some, some basic medicine, but you're never going to, you know, they couldn't do x-rays and set those wounds. So 
if he broke both his legs at five, he was never going to use those legs again. Or it's possible that he had a spinal cord injury, right? Which obviously in the ancient world would never have been healed. It never would have been able to be cared for. One of those two things likely happens to Mephibosheth, and so now he is able, unable to use both of his legs. He's, he's disabled. Now in the ancient world, a disabled person, which is, it's always been difficult for people who are disabled, obviously, a disabled person is now completely dependent upon his loved ones or people who will care for them. In the ancient world, there's no job you get to sit at a desk. That doesn't exist. Especially for men, most every job for a man in that period of time, in that point of history, is going to be outside working. And if you can't use your legs, what are you going to be able to do? This is, it's almost a death sentence for poor Mephibosheth. He has everything going against him at this point, right? His grandfather was Saul, who tried to kill David. And David's now the king, so that's not going to be great for him. And now he's, he's disabled, and he's five years old. What, what possibly can, can he do with his life? And we don't know what happens to Mephibosheth in this early part of his life. We don't know if he's literally begging or if someone is providing for him, if someone that was connected to Saul in some way actually cares for him and takes him into his home. We don't know. What we know is his life most likely isn't terribly easy at this point for Mephibosheth. Excuse me. He's probably, when we know, there's no probably about it. He is completely dependent on other people's generosity to care for him and to make sure that he gets to go and live a life that would be well lived. Something happens, though, to Mephibosheth later on in Second Samuel. Remember, they were worried about David, what kind of king he's going to be. He's going to come and wipe out all of Saul's, Saul's family tree, or will he be, be more generous than that? And we see a part of David, who we talked about yet last week, obviously. David is is a flawed human being, like the rest of us, makes some, some pretty big mistakes. But I think we left last week feeling that David, even though he's, he screws up and he messes up, he's willing to come back to God and say, hey God, it was, it was me. Take accountability, accountability for his actions. He seems to have that heart that's after God. And this is what David does here in Second Samuel chapter 9. David asked, is there anyone still left of the house of Saul to whom I can show kindness for Jonathan's sake. That sentence right there should just stop you in your tracks. Remember, Saul is the person that's trying to kill David multiple times until Saul himself finally dies. Now, Jonathan and David were best of friends, right? Which you think about it, put Jonathan in a really interesting position. His father hates him, and David's his best friend. And David's just sitting there as king, and he thinks back to himself, man, is there anybody alive still? That was, that was related to Saul, that, was, that I can bless because of how much I love Jonathan, how, how great a friend he was. He's doing the opposite of what most kings do. Most kings are going to try to wipe out Saul's lineage the best they can, get rid of everybody who would ever had existed, especially because of how Saul had treated David. And David does the opposite. He goes, is there someone I can bless? And there was a, a servant of Saul's household named Ziba, They summoned him to appear before David, and the king said to him, Are you Ziba? At your service, he replied. The king asked, Is there no one still alive from the house of Saul to whom I can show God's kindness? Ziba answered the king, There is still a son of Jonathan. He is lame in both feet. Now, what I found interesting in verse 3 is is it changes from verse 1 of the kindness that David's trying to show. 
In verse 1, David says, is there anybody of Saul's family that I can show kindness for Jonathan's sake? And in verse 3, what's he say? Is there no one still alive from the house of Saul to whom I can show God's kindness? David's able to see the bigger picture, isn't he? That though Saul is his enemy, was his enemy, that David should be trying to erase his name from history because of the kind of human being Saul was and because of what Saul had done to David. David, on the other hand, is able to rise above that, rise above the, the feelings of vengeance, the feelings of, of fear that he had at one point, the feelings of anger. He's able to rise above it and kind of go to this next level. And that next level is be able to, to look at that person through God's eyes and not our own. That's what David's able to do, I believe. He wants to show some of God's kindness towards this person, the kindness that God possesses, that we often don't, because we're unable to look past the fact that that person hurt us. And we want vengeance, and we want it now. David rises above it. And Ziba says, yeah, there is somebody. There's a son of Jonathan. He's lame in both feet. Now, we know who that is, right? It's Mephibosheth. We've heard his story. Verse 4, David said, where is he? The king said. Ziba answered, he is at the house of Makur, son of Amiel, in Lodabar. So King David had him brought from Lodabar, from the house of Makir, son of Amiel. When Mephibosheth, son of Jonathan, the son of Saul, came to David, he bowed down to pay him honor. What is Mephibosheth thinking right now? David has summoned him to Jerusalem. <sighs> right? Uh-oh. David found out I'm still alive. He's tracked me down. And the only reason David would track me down is for what? Is to get rid of me. And what's Mephibosheth going to do? How's he going to fight back? There's no way, right? And I wonder, I wonder that journey that Mephibosheth makes to Jerusalem, if there's just not that pit in his stomach the entire way of going, what does David want me for? Even if the people say, no, hey, David said he, was, he wants to bless you. Yeah, sure he does, right? Yeah, uh-huh. Yeah, sure he wants to bless me. Okay, yeah, that sounds like a great salesman, right? No, he's, there's no way he goes to bless. This dude's going to kill me when I get there. He wants my head. And so I wonder if when Mephibosheth doesn't answer David if his voice isn't a little shaky, you know? David says to him, Mephibosheth, and Mephibosheth replies, at your service. What do you need? What do you want from me? Look what David says, first words out of his mouth. He knows. David knows what Mephibosheth's thinking. Don't be afraid. You have no reason for fear, David says. Calm down. Which makes us wonder if David didn't hear that quiver in his voice as well, the shaking of the tone of his voice as he answers him. And Mephibosheth gets to hear the best news he's probably ever heard in verse 7. David says, For I will surely show you kindness for the sake of your father Jonathan. I will restore to you all the land that belonged to your grandfather Saul, and you will always eat at my table. Mephibosheth just hit the lottery. There's no other way of putting it. See, all Saul's land, because all of Saul's descendants had gone, right, becomes David's. David's the king, he gets to do whatever he wants with it. And instead of keeping it to himself, instead of hoarding it, what's he do? Gives it away. And can the same be said of us? 
of all that God gives us. Not just our money. We, we worry too much about that money sometimes. About our gifts and our talents and our abilities and our time, which is far more precious than our money, isn't it? Of all the things God has blessed us with, are we willing to bless others with that? Or do we cling to it? Do we hold to it? Because it's ours. It's mine. And David shows us, there's so many lessons in this story that David is, is showing us. But one of those is bless others with what you have. As Mephibosheth, I'm, I'm, I'm certain, has probably not had a real luxurious life to this point. And David says, everything that was your grandfather's is yours again. And not only that, but you will eat at my table always. Which essentially makes him part of David's family. Right? David's not going to eat with just anybody. But David is essentially saying, is, you are going to be like a son to me, Mephibosheth. You're going to be my own. Which means all those concerns and worries that you've had about where the next meal is going to come for all these years is over with. And it's done. In verse 8, Mephibosheth responds to David. says he bowed down and said, What is your servant that you should notice a dead dog like me? Now it gives us a picture of what Mephibosheth thinks about himself, right? How he describes himself. And it's extraordinarily difficult, you can imagine, for Mephibosheth because in a culture in which you have to work outside, you're, it's by the labor of your hands and your feet, and he can't do any of that. For all these years, he's felt like he's worthless, like he has no purpose. And man, if there's something in life that is damaging to us, it's when we feel purposeless, isn't it? We feel as though we have no use, we have no utility. That's a dangerous thing for any of us to feel, especially for men, I believe. And Mephibosheth feels like he has, he has given nothing to his family, to his country, to his God. And you see that in the way he describes himself as a dead dog. But what is David telling him? David just said, man, you're eating at my table, which means you're like a son. So you don't have to look at yourself like that anymore. You're not a dead dog. You're the king's son. And the king summoned Ziba. Saul's steward and said to him, I have given your master's grandson everything that belonged to Saul and his family. You and your sons and your servants are to farm the land for him and bring in the crops so that your master's grandson may be provided for. And Mephibosheth, grandson of your master, will always eat at my table. Ziba had 15 sons and 20 servants. David says to Ziba, just make sure you handle this right. It's a warning kind of, isn't it? Hey, don't take advantage of him because he can't fight back. Because remember, he will always eat at my table. Which David sa is saying to Ziba, Mephibosheth's affairs are my affairs. You do something to him, you've done something to me. What a story. Huh? What a story. Ziba's reply to, to David is this, Your servant will do whatever my lord the king commands his servant to do. So Mephibosheth ate at David's table like one of the king's sons. Mephibosheth had a young son named Micah, and all the members of Ziba's household were servants of Mephibosheth. And Mephibosheth lived in Jerusalem because he always ate at the king's table. He was lame in both feet. He always ate at the king's table. It's a great and amazing story of what happens 
when we put God first in our lives and put our own priorities and our own wants of revenge and anger and fear aside and let love win. What David does is that, man, I could, I could be a jerk to all Saul's relatives. I could, matter of fact, I could kill them all. I'm the king. But instead of that, what if I showed them compassion and mercy and love and grace? And see, those things win over fear and anger always, don't they? Now, I want to draw some conclusions about Mephibosheth's story and actually make it rel- relate to you and me. The story of Mephibosheth is that he loses the use of his legs in an accident. He's going to have a life of poverty, depending completely and wholly on others, right, for his care and his service for his next meal. But because of who his father was, he's brought to the king's table. Not only is he brought to the king's table, but he's given all his family's great inheritance. And he's able to eat at the king's table like one of the king's sons. And then it comes to you and me. The other end of the book, towards its conclusion, something else pops up that I think you need to hear today. The Apostle John says this in the book of Revelation, chapter 19, verses 6 through 9. Then I heard what sounded like a great multitude, like the roar of rushing waters and like loud peals of thunder, shouting, Hallelujah, for our Lord God Almighty reigns. Let us rejoice and be glad and give him glory, for the wedding of the Lamb has come, and his bride has made herself ready. Fine linen, bright and clean, was given her to wear. Fine linen stands for the righteous acts of God's holy people. Then the angel said to me, write this, Blessed are those who are invited to the wedding supper of the Lamb. And he added, these are the true words of God. See, there's something about you and me that's a lot like Mephibosheth. See, our story goes a little bit like this. See, we're born to a, a fallen world. If you don't believe me, watch the news tonight. A world that often gets it wrong and not right. A world where people do awful and terrible things to each other. See, you and I, we, we participate in that. And so you and I, we're dead in our trespasses and sins, aren't we? But, of who our father is and the work of his son we've received an inheritance from from the father and guess what we too like Mephibosheth will be able to eat at the king's table forever the elder of one of the elders of the church I was at in Willows had this picture in his home I know it's kind of blurry for you because it's on the projection screen but that's a picture of the wedding supper of the Lamb. It's a table beautifully adorned with fine linen, and it's a table that has no end. That's the king's table. And like Mephibosheth, you and I will always get to eat at it because we've placed our face in the king and his son. Sounds familiar, doesn't it? Mephibosheth, wait a second. He gets the inheritance because of who his father is. We, we receive a great inheritance. That inheritance is referred to in the scriptures as heaven because 
who our Father is. If you're sitting here today and you're, you're not quite sure about this God, whether if He really loves you or not, let me help you answer that question. He does. He loves you more than anything. He proved it when he sent his son to the cross to take every one of our sins, the ones committed in public and the ones we commit in secret, every last one of them. And he hung them there with his son on the cross. And he took care of them once and for all. So if you're not, if you're not quite sure about that next step, Take it. See, our king is good. He's the best. And his love knows no ends. Let's pray. Our Father in heaven, we thank you for the opportunity we have to gather in this place today and worship you. Father, you are the only one who is worthy of our worship and our praise. God, we thank you for this story that we find in, in your word about Mephibosheth, a really hard name to pronounce, but an amazing story to read. It reminds us that we bring nothing to the table. That we don't get to sit at the table because of how great we think we are. Because of how many times we've came to church or how much we've given or any of those things, Father. We sit at the table just because you're good and you love us and you sent your son to die for us. Our seat is secure because of you. It's nothing that we've done or will ever do except just trust you to put our faith wholly and completely in you knowing that you're good so father help us to accept the gift like Mephibosheth accepted the gift with great thanks and praise so father today and every day we bow down to you knowing you are the only one who's worthy of our praise the only one whose hands our hearts can be trusted in we thank you that you sent your son to this earth to live a perfect and sinless life and to offer himself up as a sacrifice for us so we could be brought back into this relationship with you, so we could be seated at your table. We pray all this in, in his powerful and mighty name and all God's people said. Amen. Amen.